I'm the sidekick. I'm here when you need me or Our else sidekick. I might vanish. I'm just, I'm, you know. Okay. Don't uh, go chasing tornadoes. Can yeah. somebody sing that with me? Don't go chasing instead of waterfalls. No, no, stop. <laughs> no, waterfalls. You can't, no, no, no. We stick right to on, the Steph. wall clouds and the things that you're used to. Stop. You're done. Time out. No more. <laughs> Oh, wait a minute. This is the first time the guest has told me that's enough. Because <laughs> it's not a freaking interview. Like, we're just sitting here talking to you about your, yeah. your hobby. He said, she said, bullshit. Welcome back to our second series in the Perspective Paradox podcast with Nicole and KJ. And now adding someone named Steph sometimes. Steph will show up when she wants to, when we make her when it's handy, that kind of thing. And you'll get to know Steph as well as you've already gotten to know myself and KJ. And for this series, we are talking to people about their hobbies that some would consider unique or maybe cool, or maybe some people consider them dumb. It's gonna be all about perspective. And I hope you look forward to hearing all your host perspective, but more importantly, we're gonna hear from Jeff, the storm chaser. My name is Jeff. Um, I actually know the ladies pretty well from a previous job. Um, and it's something that kind of I like to show around once in a while is I am a huge avid storm chaser. Um, been doing it for pretty much ever since I've been able to drive uh, when I can actually drive to storms. But the little thing about me is I live in the cities, um, have a dog, have a fiance, have a nice home. That's kind of a little bit about me. Um, I think we uh, all kind of want to probably talk about the weird hobby that I have. Absolutely. We want to talk about the weird hobby that you have. <laughs> so storm chasing. Yeah, Jeff, like that's super interesting. And KJ and I were talking about how when we were kids, like our parents would be out watching storms and you're supposed to be covering up. But instead in the Midwest, I think we all just kind of gravitate towards going outside and going like I, I said, the sky's green. I'm going to go drive around. How did you decide to do this? Yeah, so actually, uh, it's pretty much this similar story, you know, growing up in the Midwest and everybody just, especially like their dads, like you always see like those memes are like, oh, tornado warning and you, here's the Midwestern dad just instantly go outside. That was my father. Um, anytime mm -hmm. there was just some nasty weather coming, he would always tell the kiddos, me and my twin brother, get in the house, go with your mom, go in the basement. Meanwhile, he's gone. We're terrified. Where's daddy? Where's daddy? Well, he's out in the front yard looking at whatever is coming our way, whether it's nasty hail, wind, sometimes tornadoes. And I was always just more or less kind of worried, like, well, what is he doing out there? What is he looking at? And I think that's when the curiosity kind of sparked a little bit. And, and I think when I got older, that's when my dad was like, let's go outside. Let's go check it out. My uh, brother uh, my, and my mother were always just stuck in the house. They didn't like it. They never cared for it. Um, but I just remember one day I was downstairs in our uh, basement and there was a storm coming, but it was at night. You really couldn't see anything. And behind our house is a huge like power pole. And all of a sudden, all I saw was just a flash of light. And sure enough, a big old bolt of lightning struck the top of it. It was the loudest thing I've ever heard. Um, it was the closest. Well, one of the times that one of the closest times I've ever been with lightning, and maybe I'll share that story a little bit later, but I, uh, I was absolutely terrified. And then right after that, I was absolutely fascinated. And when I got my driver's license, I think one of the first things I did was take my sky, uh, my Skywarn class uh, to become a, a storm spotter. And it kind of grew into where I'm at now. It's always been that one thing that, you know, oh, Jeff, the weatherman, that's kind of like my nickname, even for my friends. They, oh, Jeff, is it raining today? Is it going to storm today? Is it going to snow today? And they always expect me for the answers and I love giving them. We always say that meteorologists are full of shit yep. and they go to school to basically become professional fucking guessers. Yep. So just explain that because I'm sure it's not true or else we wouldn't have, you know, 30,000 meteorologists in the state of Minnesota in the Midwest per se. Yeah, I think definitely our technology has gotten to the point where we can be very accurate um, but definitely, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it, uh, yeah, there was science, be or, I mean, there's always science behind it. Meteorology is 100% science and a lot of math. And you're kind of just guessing, you're predicting what the atmosphere is going to do. And it could be anything from, you know, 
like, especially like right now, we're kind of in our severe weather season. Um, you know, for Minnesota, it's usually the uh, the ending of July and into August is when we generally get our biggest uh, severe weather outbreaks. And it's almost impossible to kind of pinpoint where something's going to be. That's why you always have these watch areas that are huge. You know, sometimes it spans the entire state. And they have so much math that they got to look up. They have so many uh, models that they use from the National Weather Service. Um, you have private, um, you know, meteorologists that work for, like, let's just say the news. You know, you have CARE 11, you have Fox 9. A lot of these guys are only taking the data that they see from the National Weather Service. And then they make their own determination. Okay, is it going to rain tomorrow? Okay, we'll do a 20% chance because, well, there's maybe a small chance that someone might get rain in the viewing area. So I know everyone's always heard that saying, you know, they get paid to be wrong, um, which is true. But at the same rate, what goes behind those forecasts is so much math, um, statistics, um, science. I mean, you pretty much, the way that I see it is a meteorologist has, they need to be a rocket scientist. And then they have to be a meteorologist because rocket scientists, they want to get a rocket out of the atmosphere. Well, meteorologist needs to know the atmosphere. So it's, it's pretty incredible. All I will say though, is any type you, anytime you see a forecast where, oh, it might rain next week. Um, anything after usually three days, they're full of shit. Um, they're kind of just guessing <laughs> if they see, I mean, it, they're predicting weather that's coming from the West coast and it's not even there yet, but there's a big pocket of hot air. Oh, well that pocket <laughs> of hot air might come our way and that might give us a storm in six days. So I would just say, take it with a grain of salt whenever you see, um, you know, something, oh, we might have a huge snowstorm in a few days from now. Take it as a grain of salt until I would say at least three days in advance. And then from there, then you can really start, yeah. okay, maybe they are not so much full of shit. So another question then is I had, you know, of course, this famous world of TikTok saw that when they state that there's a 50% chance of rain, that doesn't mean that like you have... 50% of a chance, it means that there's 50% of people or people within that region that would actually see the rain. So when they say that you have 50% rain, uh, chance of rain over the, you know, let's just say it's Minneapolis, it's actually only 50% of the people within Minneapolis that would see that. And Minneapolis is a huge radius. It's kind of accurate. But at the same rate, it's not like I say, when it comes down to like the percentages, I usually don't give them that much time a day, unless it's like in the eighties or nineties, like, okay, it's going to rain out. But whenever I see something that says like 50% chance of thunderstorms, what comes to my mind is just like what you said, the viewing area. So that could be half of Minnesota might see a pop-up thunderstorm. So I think more or less it's for them to cover their own butt and say, yeah, you might get rain today. You might not. Um, and like I, once again, it's just such things change. I mean, who's ever uh, been expecting a massive snowstorm and then the next day you wake up and your yard is still brown. And I still have I mean, to go to work. Brown. Yeah. My dumbass, when I was living in St. Cloud, we were supposed to get some huge snowstorm coming through. Uh, like we're talking 12 plus inches of snow. My fiance and I actually drove down to Maple Grove and rented a hotel room because we didn't go on to get stuck. Nothing snowed. There was no snow on the ground, and it's because it was too. The, there was a cap, um, and that kind of gets into scientific, scientific lingo with meteorology. But yeah, it's kind of just a kind of a guessing game. Sorry, yeah. you lived in Saint Cloud. Yeah, <laughs> I did. For I lived there for about a year, and uh, <laughs> it's all right. So I'm gonna bring back uh, to Skywarn. Before you yes. do, I want to do a touch base here because that was great information that Jeff shared. And as perspective is, as perspective does, I want to know what you and Steph, and I want to tell you what I think now of weather, weather people and their forecasts. Are you talking to me? Yeah, real quick. What do you think oh. now that Jeff shared that with us? What do you think about the meteorologist? This is what I think about the meteorologist. They have one part of the job. Uh, storm chasers like Jeff, they have another part to play in the bigger picture. Please correct me if I'm wrong. It's one of my understandings that you take classes like Skywarn or you actually get hired from NOAA or the National, whatever it's called, Atmosphere, whatever, <laughs> NOAA I call it. Just make it National Weather Service, right? And that you go to classes and you learn how to spot certain things because even though our technology has 
grown, it is my understanding that there are still certain things that we need to have eyes on to make sure that we are activating the correct warnings. So I do think that there is a science behind it. I do think I take uh, what I hear on the TV with a grain of salt versus what I read and see on some other uh, news outlets or other avenues of gathering information for weather. I do believe when Jeff says, you know, they're predicting a snow a week out, I usually think two days prior, I don't do the three, but I, I do think two days is when we start really seeing if we're going to get snow. Or... So that's kind of my perspective. I do agree with Jeff. It's There's a lot of it, um, on, but on the flip side, there is it, it is a guessing game. But Jeff, what he does is an integral part of that process to make sure the weather that we have predicted is correct. I knew you would think correct. something lengthy and thorough and thoughtful. I knew you would. Thanks for not oh. disappointing. <laughs> Jeff. I'm going to be disappointing. You know that. <laughs> Always. No. <laughs> no, I think uh, just, you know, I, I mean, that's why I asked the question to Jeff, because obviously that was, that's been my thought processes, but I do like the insight that I would say mother nature, she's a bitch. Mm -hmm. And you can't, you can't rely on something five days out. She's going to change the path. She's going to. And I just think it's, I, I do know there's a lot of science behind it, but <clears throat> in meteorologists in general, I think what's really interesting is that uh, I know they have, they have the data though. I just feel that they have kind of the technology to kind of tell them what's going to happen, but that's where, you know, I was looking for a little bit more insight because, you know, they make $130,000 a year. They do have to be in front of live TV. So that's something, but um, yeah, I feel like they need to, they kind of just get to things a little handed to them, but I could be completely wrong on that. I do want to add on to that. Back when I was in high school, I actually went on TV with a uh, pretty well-known meteorologist here in the cities. Jonathan um, in the No. <laughs> Blend up. Um, but I went on TV with him and he actually kind of gave me a, uh, like a behind the scenes uh, look into what he does. I basically shadow him for the day. And what he had in his little workstation was so many models, so many diagrams, so many um, soundings. Soundings is basically when you, you shoot a weather balloon up in the sky and it shows mm -hmm. wind direction, speed, um, the temperature at certain uh, layers of the atmosphere, like the stratosphere, troposphere, things like that. And they take all that stuff and they take all these basically ingredients that they see and they fine tune it and they wrap it into a bowl and that's what they present to people. And people love weather, you know, what's like a main question mm -hmm. that someone always asks. Geez, there a bill, it's sure a nice day out. You know, it's it's just something that what people always talk about. And, you know- Are you sure that's not just the Midwest? <laughs> well, <laughs> just probably. Asking. It probably is. Can somebody so ask me what I think of meteorologists now? Nicole, what oh, do you think? Yeah. Now that Jeff has told us what meteorologists go through, I'm like, man, I'm picturing my favorite meteorologist like after the show in the back, just like kicking, going, God dang it, I got it wrong. And is all mad. Like that humanized them for me because before I thought, oh, they're just up there like doing their report and being on TV. But man, that must be frustrating then if they are really using math and science and data. And, and I guess I knew that at some level. Well, even on to add on to that, I mean, not only do you have your TV meteorologist, but you have meteorologists that work specifically for the airport, um, train companies, um, small airports. You have, uh, I mean, anybody, Amazon probably has their own meteorologist. And I'm not kidding. It could literally be, okay, well, we have, um, this is our, our rail yard. And they're going to be going over here. Well, what if this huge storm comes through and it dis, you know, it disrupts our, um, our fleet. So it, you, whenever someone thinks meteorologists, they think National Weather Service getting paid by the government or they think TV, but there are, the private sector is incredible and that's where the money comes from. And that's why we're getting so much better at um, able to predict storms and weather and and it's because of the private sector The you know, the government will, yeah, it'll push out all of its data that it has. But when you throw the private sector in there, there are meteorologists everywhere. And one more thing to add on a perspective, you would not believe, and you probably see it on Facebook or Instagram, but the amount of um, negativity and threats meteorologists get 
especially during like a TV show. Oh, the mass singers on and oh, they're about to reveal it. And a tornado warning pops up and you have people that are right. like, well, I don't give a shit about the tornado warning that is 40 miles away from me. Well, it's also, that's, you know, 40 miles away. That's how that person gets their, their weather alerts. So it's, it's pretty incredible mm-hmm. that, you know, we're talking about perspectives, right? One people's more or less concerned about who the masked singer is and a person that's 40 miles away is worried about, okay, am I going to live through this storm? So, and the meteorologist gets all the flack because, oh, look at great. Once again, you broke, you're, you broke into breaking news. So it seems like the past couple of years, weather has changed. Meaning what, if it's the drought, if it's seeming, and granted, I am not a storm chaser. I'm not a scientist, but it seems like storms are moving more east and there's less snow and things are moving more north while um, people out west are experiencing new new weather patterns that have changed. I just kind of want to get your perspective on that and maybe thinking about how Tornado Alley is actually moving the little disclaimer, all the stuff that I'm about to say, it's all self-taught. I mean, that's kind of what I do for fun. This is literally everything about storm chasing, everything about weather, it's all self-taught. Um, whether it's been classes that I've taken or just things that I've just learned online because um, I'm just kind of an open book and adult learner for this stuff. Um, but yeah, our weather is definitely changing. Thank you. <laughs> um, one thing that's for sure is our severe weather is we're, as of right now, we're actually in a severe weather drought, um, or mm-hmm. you could call it a tornado drought. We have not had really a tornado outbreak or a severe weather outbreak since about 2011, which is at the end of the day, it's a good thing, right? You don't want mass destruction and stuff, but we've definitely been more quiet. Um, and uh, yeah, tornado alley is actually shifting and it's, it all has to do with, from what I know, this could be totally wrong. But, you know, it has a, a big thing to do with the, um, the jet stream. It, uh, it, it all kind of depends on, you know, it, it, our, our tornado alley is very interesting because it, it all kind of starts from the cold air from the Arctic coming down. Then you have the, the, the humid and uh, hot air um, that's coming from the Gulf. And then you have, you know, more of a, a drier hot air coming from the West. And when all three of those things can, you know, converge it makes tornado alley you know we get very nasty weather and down there there's nothing down there it's very flat um i don't know if you've ever heard of the urban island heat effect but who's ever seen oh geez we got this massive storm coming right towards the cities and right when it heads to the cities it splits well when you have such a dense population of hot air you got your cars you got houses pumping out co2 you got cars pumping out co2 um there's skyscrapers that it all messes with the weather and that's why down in Oklahoma where it's so flat storms got a damn playground they can do whatever the hell they want but yeah the scary part is right now is seeing that uh, tornado alley is definitely shifting more east it's dangerous and it's it's going to cost I see it costing a lot of lives one uh, eventually because of the the landscape down there and the um, the geography it's you know, in Oklahoma and Texas and Kansas, everything's flat. You can see a tornado eight miles away. Uh, but when you start getting to Mississippi and those kind of states down there, it's very, um, there's a lot of trees. It's very dense. It, you can't see over treetops. And I think that's going to, it's going to cause a lot of issues and a lot of problems. That's why I think the, the constant technology um, improving, I think, is, is going to save lives. I think it's only going to get worse um, because we're definitely seeing some changes within our climate. I don't want to get into that whole boat, but it uh, it's definitely something to take a peek at, you know, within the next few years. So I do have another question. Just want to get your perspective on it. Rain in Greenland, where it hasn't rained for years, is now showing up and, and happening. What are your thoughts on that? I didn't even know about that until now. <laughs> oh, you're fired. Into. <laughs> yeah, right. So what's so explain to me what's happening over there. All what I heard is that there was um, a location within like Greenland and areas of uh, actually the Arctic where it's rain and it hasn't rained for like ever, like centuries. And they're now getting rain way up north. Interesting. Yeah. That's the scary part too with, with our climate, you know, our, our earth is our earth. It's our home. It's, 
it's our home base, you know, we have to take care of it. And I definitely think we're not, um, you know, we're definitely pumping out things into the atmosphere that we shouldn't be doing, or at least start to take, make changes. Um, but my issue with that, my perspective on that is you can't force, you know, a whole country to start buying electric cars. Well, you need the whole planet on board. You know, the United States can't just be the only damn person that's, you know, hey, let's, let's start doing our part within our climate change and what we're seeing. Well, you can't have that. You need these other massive countries, Russia, China, India, you know, if they're not going to do it, what, what are we going to do, you know? besides maybe buying a, you know, an electric car and maybe throwing some solar panels on top of our house. It's, it, it's, it, we need to come together as humanity. Um, but especially with today's political climate, what we see nowadays, it just, I don't think that's going to happen for a while um, until I think it's going to be too late. I, I don't want to really get too far into that because I could go on for hours. You know, you talk about electric cars would help things in climate change and solar panels. But I personally don't think that we can make those kind of choices, like, because we're not thinking all the way through, just like in the past, people probably didn't think things all the way through. What are we going to do with all those solar panels and batteries? And then what's going to happen when we have to dispose of them? Like, there's going to be some side effect that we can't see. Yep. I don't know if you've never seen the, uh, the pictures online of the, um, the wind turbines, when they go out of commission, right. they bury them because they're made out of, I think, fiberglass or something like that, and you can't recycle it. Mm -hmm. And I, <laughs> that's something to definitely take a peek at, just kind of look at, like, I think you can even see it on the like, Google Maps. And yeah, I mean, people think of a good idea and, hey, this is what we're going to do to combat climate change and everyone be green. And well, you have to think about it at the end of the day. Can also, can everyone afford an electric car? You know what I mean? Gas is cheap. Coal's cheap. It works. It's something that we know. It's but obviously things will have to change one day, but you can't just change it overnight. And I think that's what a lot of people expect for other people to do. I'm going to bring up Ida because I've been watching some video and I, the one thing I've always found interesting, maybe it's just human nature. Tornadoes are completely different and they're, they can happen very rapidly and without warning. Well, some warning, right? You kind of understand the clouds and whatever, but it's a lot less time than a hurricane because the hurricane you know you see it slowly moving along and you know it i know you chase storms within in mainland and you know in flyover country but out on the coast why is there this reluctancy to leave an area when you know there is a strong storm coming granted you don't know what's going to happen right yep my perspective on that is kind of a few things so I don't know what it would be like to live in somewhere like that. I, I can only imagine living in an area that you're prone to hurricanes. And it, let's just say you build a house 20 years ago and you've never been hit by a hurricane. And all of a sudden, 20 years later, there's a hurricane barreling down your door. I think human nature comes into it where, okay, do I want to pick up as much stuff as I can and leave my forever home? and maybe not come back to a house or am I going to think hopeful? Nope. Maybe the storm will turn or what if they're just a, an adrenaline junkie? They're just so fascinated by it that by the time that they need to evacuate, they can't because they want to see the storm roll in. I think there's so many things that go into it or sometimes people just can't afford it. Like I understand like people say, you know, well, there's shelters that are in place and FEMA's out there helping and there's food and there's water and I think sometimes people are just like, well, no, I don't want to leave my house. This is my home. I don't want to come back to nothing. I want to be hopeful. I want to, um, you know, make sure my stuff is still here. And sometimes they end up dying because of that decision. The thing with Ida that I thought was absolutely fascinating was the fact that it struck 16 years to the date that Katrina yeah. did. I mean, how much of a coincidence can that be? Like that is, in, to me, it's incredible. I mean, really. <laughs> I just don't understand how that works. I mean, that's just life, but. I am. Yeah. Would you guys leave your homes, Steph, KJ? No. I'd be in Costa Rica. If a hurricane was coming to your house, Steph, you would be in Costa Rica? I'd just go somewhere else. Yep. I'd pack up my shit and go. I got insurance. Damn. She's <laughs> jumping from Minnesota, I guess, is in this situation to Costa Rica. Okay. Well, the scary part, though, with that, too, is that what no one thinks about is like back when <laughs> Katrina hit it, uh, the thing that was the deadliest was that um, the levees failed. 
And like, if you think about the ninth mm -hmm. ward in New Orleans, mm -hmm. I mean, these people didn't think that the levees, I mean, yeah, they probably expected, yeah, we're going to get flooding. You know, these houses don't have basements. You know, a lot of them are four or five, six feet off the ground, which they actually just changed that. Um, and it's mandate that you need to raise your home. I mean, the state's mm -hmm. paying for it. But if you're living in the ninth ward and you're extremely poor and you have nothing and you have your house, you're hoping, well, yeah, the city has levees. We're safe. And then sure enough, the levees failed and your home became a bowl for the ocean. You know, so I think people also too rely on their government. They rely on their city. They rely on their, um, you know, their elected officials to hopefully keep them safe. But once again, being hopeful sometimes is deadly. And, and we've seen that time and time and time again, that you can't always rely on others. You need to rely on, your, rely on yourself. You have to make that right decision. What that decision is, I don't know. Do you know what I would do? I would leave. And there's one specific reason why I would leave. Well, maybe three in this case, but because having watched the news and having seen like those evacuations and when floods happen and seeing dogs on rafts is why I would leave. I could not imagine having to try. And I'm not kidding. Go ahead, KJ, laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious too. There's no way I could imagine having to try to evacuate my poor dogs or my poor dogs being lost and somebody saving them on a raft. Like, hell no. So I'm leaving if a hurricane's coming, just so you know. Because of the dogs. Yes, 100% because of the dogs. Not because of you, but no. the dogs. If it was just me, I would maybe screw around a little bit and like stand on my roof and see if I could survive. Uh, Skywarn, the only reason I'm bringing it up, because I know the National Weather Service, I think it's them, that pays spotters to go into areas that are you know, at risk, high risk, marginal risk areas, and that they have teams that they deploy. And you do this for a hobby. Yep. There are people out there that get paid to do your hobby. For one, that's not accurate. So storm spotters are all volunteers, everybody. Everyone with Skywarn um, is all volunteer. Um, the ones that get paid, they're getting paid because of their video. They're getting paid because of their sweet video that they send out. Look at this tornado that just went through this, this beautiful farm field. Holy crap, I got 200 feet away from it. This thing is awesome. That's what sells, right? Um, you can easily take a video of, of, of a different or a decent storm um, that produces damage and you sell that to you know any news station. They're going to give you a few hundred bucks for it because destruction sells, right? Um, violent sells. You know, we see it every single day. That's what gets people glued to the TV. Um, but with Skywarn, so I got into it when I was 16, when I got my driver's license and I've been doing it ever since I actually got, uh, and what's cool too, is my hobby kind of went into a weird direction. It actually got me into, um, some different positions within, uh, Skywarn. So when I was working for a police department, my police chief came up and said, do you want to be an instructor for national weather service, um, for storm spotting? Uh, yes. Hell yeah, sign me up. So I did that. I uh, became an instructor for the National Weather Service to, to teach storm spotting. I taught quite a few um, police departments, fire departments, um, city employees. And uh, I kept refreshing every two years, kept taking that class. Um, and as of now, as of today, 15 years later, I'm now actually the newest board member for Metro Skywarn. So I'm actually the uh, one of the guys now. Um, I think I'm part of a team of eight. Um, that's in charge of all of Skywarn for the Twin Cities metro area. So that's pretty Woo much, uh, uh, I know, thank you. It's pretty much like Hennepin yeah. County and all surrounding counties. And it is such a big operation. And I'm, I'm going to, you know, for the people that listen to this podcast, if you like severe weather, look into storm spotting um, and look into Skywarn because it's, it's super cool. It's, you're giving back to the community. And what Christian mentioned earlier is, you know, spotters see one thing and meteorologists at the National Weather Service see another. So that's a great thing to go into because what you need to realize is whenever there is a nasty storm coming through and they say there's a tornado warning rotation spotted or rotation seen on radar, two different things. So you could see radar on a, um, or you could see the velocity radar and velocity looks at wind direction. So if I'm on my phone and I'm a meteorologist and I see that there's potential rotation in a storm, I'm going to say, okay, there's probably a wall cloud there. 
but radar can only see so much. They can't see the ground because you got trees, you got houses. What does see ground level is people like me. So when I go out and I see a tornado on the ground, I will then say, I will call up the National Weather Service on a private line and say, I see a tornado in front of me. And that's when they actually start changing up their lingo. That's when um, TV meteorologists start changing up their lingo. Hey, we have a tornado warning. We're only seeing rotation. This is where the rotation's at versus, hey, we have a tornado on the ground. It's been spotted by Jeff in Coon Rapids. Um, it is heading this direction, take shelter now. Like it's two different things. For one, spotters are all volunteers. We do it for fun. I more or less do it for adrenaline rush. And I love doing like time-lapse um, pictures and, and video. Yeah, Skywarn is an amazing thing. It's it's definitely giving back to the community because you need those people on the ground um, seeing this stuff. One quick story to that. I was down in Iowa by myself and I was looking at a beautiful wall cloud in front of me. And it was rotating a little bit. And I'm looking around. I'm literally in the middle of a cornfield by myself. Um, besides my dog, my dog's my little storm chaser buddy. He hates it, but, um, but he goes anyways, huh? It, it, yes. He, yeah. <laughs> voluntarily. No, but, um, all of a sudden I get a phone call from the Iowa, um, emergency management and they said, Hey Jeff, I see that you're right next to this storm. What do you see? So as a storm chaser, I actually share my location to, um, the national weather service. And the National Weather Service provides my location to other um, agencies, whether it's emergency management, um, police departments, things like that, 911 dispatchers. Um, and uh, I had this guy call me up and say, I see you on radar. I see you're by this. What do you see? And I said, I have, I have a nice looking wall cloud in front of me. It's kind of rotating. It looks kind of clunky, but it's still a wall cloud. Within seconds, a tornado warning went out. And I just thought that was, that was absolutely cool because that was my first ever, hey, the people that are in this town that I'm by, they're now being tornado warned because I am seeing a wall cloud in front of me. So that is where it comes down to it. I mean, there's technology has made it so cool and real time information. And Twitter is amazing because you can send out a photo right away and people see it. But yeah, that's kind of my little spiel on Skywarn. If you're interested, look it up. Um, it's a great class to take and it's, it's, will set you up to uh, spot some storms one day. What is the best weather app? Oh, now we're talking. If we're talking radar, I'm going to plug Radar Scope. So Radar Scope, it's 10 bucks just to buy it. And then you usually, if you want the good stuff, you have to, you have to pay for a subscription. Sometimes it's 15 bucks a month or $100 a year or $10 a year, I apologize. But each thing gets you something different. So I can see real-time lightning. I can look at velocity. I can look at correlation coefficient which is uh, looking for like debris balls so when there's a tornado is like very strong on the ground if it is kicking up houses and debris you can actually see it on radar and that's how you can differentiate okay is there a tornado on the ground or not um, and even if you see like a debris ball on that type of radar you can then okay this is a very strong tornado maybe I don't want to be so close to it so I would say radar scope is by far number one um but then I kind of run into the real sciencey stuff. I go on to, you know, I look at sounding analysis. I look at, um, I, I lo I'm looking at cape. I'm looking at wind shear. I'm looking at instability. I'm looking at dew points. Um, but that kind of just all comes to like the storm prediction center. So definitely um, radar scope. I would say the storm prediction center, um, especially looking for outlooks. And then one of my absolute favorites is if you go on to Google and type in Minnesota weather story, Minnesota weather story. Every day they produce, um, I think one in the evening and one in the morning, they just produce a little graphic. And I know a few of you have seen my, uh, my Facebook page. A lot of those graphics that I pull is from that website. So Minnesota weather story, it's the first thing that pops up. And uh, I look at that every morning and it's just a little, little snippet, colorful snippet about what's about to happen today or the rest of the week. And that's kind of my main three that I like to use. Don't give away all of your secrets while you're <laughs> on this podcast or you're not going to have a, a hobby because you're going to have all kinds of, do you ever have to push anybody over because they're in your way and you're trying to catch the storm? Surprisingly, not so much in Minnesota because <laughs> Minnesota is not, it's not, it's not the best, the best spot push to storm chase. Um, <laughs> but, but what I've definitely noticed though is storm chasers, we definitely have our own little community and people, everybody knows everybody within it especially online. 
nowadays everyone wants to be that social media buff, right? They want to have a ton of likes, a ton of clicks. They wanted their videos to go viral. And it, uh, Hurricane Ida, for instance, just um, really shown some true colors of some storm chasers where one in particular was down there, um, not trained, uh, was not in the, the correct um, position to be in a damn hurricane, went down there for clout um, and some bragging rights to put on Twitter and uh, eventually came out on Twitter and said, help, I'm stuck. My car is basically can't move. My phone is almost out of power. I'm going to die. I need help. And so the storm chaser community came together and said, we have a chaser that is stuck at this spot at this location, please help. Well, it turns out they lied about all of it and they did it for, for followers. They were getting some very, very high profiled meteorologists for the national weather service following them because of the videos that they were putting out. What they did was possibly a federal crime or a, a, a felony. And you, you see that quite often within the storm chase community, especially our younger generation that comes in that wants to have the coolest video for Instagram. They're going nine, 90 miles an hour down the highway to get to a storm. They're parking in the middle of the road. They're telling people where to go. And it really makes a bad name for, you know, my community that I'm in, the storm chaser community. And it's, it sucks. Those people suck. I don't like them. They shouldn't be um, storm chasers, but at the same rate, you can't tell someone, Hey, you can't leave your house to go spot a storm. So it is what it is. It's, I mean, you get that kind of everywhere, but there's definitely a lot of drama within storm chasing, which <laughs> you probably never heard of. <laughs> no. Cause I was kind of kidding when I said, do you push them over? Like, I didn't really think there was going to be a story behind that. <laughs> oh yeah. There is drama within storm chasers. It's incredible. That's why I like to keep to myself and my dog. <laughs> so, uh, a question when you back to when you said, you know, I do this for the adrenaline and then you talk really about some of those situations that get really intense. Does your family and your friends all support you or do people fight you about this? My twin brother absolutely hates it. Cause I mean, we're twins. So he's always, we've always had that, like the little protection. I need to protect my twin brother type thing. Uh, my brother, my oldest brother, it calls me every second that there's a storm on the ground. What are you seeing? Send me pictures. He absolutely loves it. My dad don't care. He just tells me to be safe. My mom absolutely hates it. And my friends, they all know if uh, we're in the middle of a party and a storm's happening, I'm gone. They know that by now. They know I'm going to leave. They know I'm going to bail on them instantly. <laughs> um, but they just, they like that I like what I'm doing. They like that I have a hobby that I'm so interested in. Um, like I said, besides my mother, she's the mama bear. She wants to protect her cubs. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I, I, I get a lot of support and people like what I take pictures of in my stories and things like that. I've come close to getting hurt. Uh, actually, not that long ago, if you want to hear that story. <laughs> yeah, I know that story and I was hoping you were going to share it. So yeah, let's hear about uh, the time when maybe you shouldn't have been out storm chasing. Yep. So one thing that I do not do is night chase. Um, chasing a storm at night is, I think, incredibly stupid unless you're looking for lightning and you have good equipment, you have good cameras, to take uh, photos and video of it. Um, but I went out to Wisconsin with a fellow storm chaser. We met up and uh, it uh, just got later in the day. The storms were not producing just yet. And then all of a sudden, boom, they fired. And I'm in the middle of Wisconsin. If you know Wisconsin, it's a lot of trees and a lot of hills. And it's not the best spot to look for storms. Uh, we were able to see two wall clouds. Um, and a wall cloud for me is always a win because wall clouds and tornadoes are actually very rare. I'm heading home from these storms because I'm about done. It's getting too dark. And uh, my chaser buddy actually went south to hop on 94 um, to get photo and video of the lightning. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to head home. I'm going to go straight off whatever road I was on. And I was coming to New Richmond and the storms just kept firing off and they kept blowing up. And uh, my laptop in my car actually was not hooked up to my internet quite yet because I was in some dead areas and all of a sudden my, my internet comes back and I just hit refresh on my radar and I'm, holy shit, I'm in a very bad spot. That looks like a tornado on radar. So the only thing that I use on radar usually is um, velocity. Like I said, it's all wind direction. Look it up, it's awesome when you really wanna start looking for um, tornadoes or at least things that are rotating. And I drove right through it. It was literally coming right at me. I really had no time to react. Um, all of a sudden my phone went off, tornado warning, tornado warning. I'm, and my phone's connected to, uh, my Bluetooth. So I have this huge, loud rumbling 
alert tone going off in my car, scared the shit out of me. My dog's terrified. And all of a sudden I can't see in front of my car and my car actually lifted up off the ground. My um, right-hand side of my car was actually off the ground, probably about maybe three inches. I was not on the ground complete with all my tires. I was scared shitless. I thought, holy God, I'm going to be blown off the road. I'm going to die. I don't know if there's a tornado coming right at me. And I was able to get out of it. I uh, turned around. I got out of my car because, of course, I'm a dumb shit. And I need to see what I just, right? Because <laughs> that makes sense, right? Let's jump out of my car right away. So I did. I got out of my car and I took photos of this huge wall cloud. But I really couldn't see much because it was so covered in rain. Sure enough, the next morning, there was indeed a confirmed tornado on the ground in New Richmond. And I happened to be right there. And my storm chaser buddy was also in it because he decided to turn around because he saw there's some rotation. And that was my day when I said, no more night chasing. It's too dangerous. I ain't that crazy. I'm crazy, but not that crazy. I'm not going to die for a tornado that I can't see. So it's that's ironic. My mom and my best friend were actually in New Richmond that same day at around the same time. And they were telling me that, oh my God, we couldn't see. And the car was going back and forth. And I was like, oh, you exaggerators. Right. But as time went on, I learned, right. There was a tornado. That's just, that's wild. And yeah, please be safe. I don't think you really storm chase in winter. Do you? I don't know. No, people have, people do, um, especially like the, uh, the snow or the lake effect snow, like up in Duluth, when you get complete whiteout conditions, once again, that type of video sells, right? Oh, look at this blizzard that just came through. You can't see two feet in front of you. And they're showing that on the night news and stuff. It's, it's, you know, these are people that, that have made storm chasing into kind of like a, a monetary type of a hobby where they're making money off of it. But for me, I don't like chasing anything in the wintertime. I mean, my summer months and spring months, my severe weather is, that's what I'm all about um, because it's, it can be very deadly. Um, and I want to be out there and, and seeing these things and reporting it to the National Weather Service to hopefully help other people. Because what Skywarn teaches you is to wear your place yourself within a storm. So besides the one time in New Richmond, usually where I am is I'm in a decent, good spot where I know the bad weather's not coming to me. Winter weather, on the other hand, I mean, I don't want to get stuck in a, a snowstorm with my 2018 Toyota Corolla. Hell no. My battery's going to die because I'm going to get stuck. I ain't dealing with that. I like the cold weather, but I'm not doing that. The people that do chase in the wintertime, though, it's usually for monetary value, and they're trying to sell some videos and pictures the hail that was like a uh, baseball size i'm trying to understand and really picture is how the heck does hail get that big whenever you have a big storm that's in front of you you have an updraft and a downdraft downdraft is where your rain is sounds cold updraft is where the air is getting sucked in right so basically what is happening is you get a little piece of of ice that's being formed because of the cold air especially in these cumulonimbus clouds that get so freaking high up that it's actually punching through the atmosphere and it's getting to the next layer of the atmosphere. But if you have a very strong updraft, um, basically what's going to happen is this little piece of ice starts out because it's just rain that just got froze and it goes up in the updraft and it gets too heavy and it goes down and then it gets sucked up into the updraft again and then it goes down. So when you see a piece of hail that's the size of a damn baseball, that is a very, very, very powerful storm. And we're talking winds that are just extreme. It, it's enough wind that's actually pushing that baseball-sized piece of hail up and down, up and down, up and down repeatedly until eventually it gets too heavy, and that's what falls and hits your car. So whenever I see hailstones that big, we're talking that's a powerful ass storm that could easily produce a tornado. And hail is one thing that I never like to mess with too because that's death. I mean, I see a lot of storm chasers that wear um, helmets when they go out. But one, I don't want to destroy my new car that I just bought. And two, I don't want to get injured. You're in a hailstorm, and if you're driving through it, you're punching the core, what some people say. If you're heading in the right direction, you may just be running into tornadoes. So it's it's important that you kind of know the difference between um, an updraft and a downdraft and where the rain is and where tornadoes mm -hmm. get produced. And that's where Skywarn comes in, and that's what they teach you. So you just said you storm chase in a Toyota curl. I did. <laughs> You did say that. <laughs> I'm picturing. Don't get, get me wrong. Cannot, I'm picturing like a cannot get injured. <laughs> I want to understand how you can chase storm chase in a Toyota curl. 
Well, that's where, like I said, that's where Skyworn comes in and that's where that education comes out. Because if you, if you can read technology based, if you can read a storm well, if you can see where the weather is coming and if you know your area, I'm going to present, I'm going to position my car to where I am behind the storm and a little bit to the east of it. Cause then the storm's going to go right on past. Even in a Prius. Correct. He'll be fine. <laughs> Even a motorcycle, if you do it right. Oh, God. Thank you very much. Okay. So let's, I would like to get us back on topic. Okay. But on a serious note, do you know Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt? <laughs> <laughs> I have seen Twister more times than I can count. My uh, ringtone actually on my phone is uh, one of the songs from Twister. Yeah, Seriously? I'm a huge Twister fan. How about Dorothy from Kansas? Did you ever meet her? Wizard of Oz? Yeah. yeah. The tornado scene scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. And then what? the witch. Yeah. The hell what about the monkeys? Eh. My yeah, favorite part, though, that movie was always the, the tornado. And yep, just how same. that tornado looked so damn real. It was made out of cotton. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was? It was cotton. It was like made mm-hmm. out of felt and cotton. And they literally just moved it around on a piece of wood. And it looked yep. so freaking real. <laughs> Yeah, that's impressive. A real question is, so like you've talked about storm chasing is dangerous. Do you know of or know storm chasers who have been injured, who have died doing this? Yes. So one of my favorite storm chasers that I followed, um, <clears throat> there's actually three. So Reed Timmer, you probably heard of him. He's a huge storm chaser um, in Thanks, the community. Sir. Sean Casey, he is the IMAX filmmaker. He's the one that made the TIV, the Tornado Intercept Vehicle. Um, oh, Yeah. Remember that storm mm-hmm. or the, the yes. show, uh, Tornado Chasers or Storm Chasers? Um, I personally, then, I'm sorry, but I personally really like that. And I, yeah. you know, I know it's kind of one of those hokey kind of things, but I also found it very, depending on the crew, right? I found yep. some of the crews were kind of like flaky, but then you, you could tell who the hardcore people were and yep. that they really wanted that data. And I found that very, I appreciated that kind of show. Yep. Well, definitely like with, um, at, at first, um, with two of the storm chasers, they're definitely for, you know, monetary value. You know, Sean Casey was there to make his IMAX film. He wanted to drive into a tornado and shoot his camera up and see what the hell a tornado looks like looking up. I mean, no one's ever done that, right? Cause you're going to die, but he eventually mm-hmm. made the tornado intercept vehicle. Um, but getting back to it, uh, Tim Samaras actually, uh, was by for one of my favorites. Cause he was all about the science. And he was very safe with how he did his storm chasing. He never was the type of guy that, hey, let's get very close to this tornado and let's see what the hell it's going to do. No, what he did was he actually developed and made his own probes, um, these little tiny circular, kind of like at a cone. He would throw these things in front of a tornado and get the hell out of Dodge. And he's letting his science and his data (laughs) speak for himself. Um, And what he was all about was making uh, warning systems earlier and he was also for learning more about how a tornado forms does a tornado form from the ground up does it form from in the sky to down because they now they're starting to call tornadoes spin-ups um but tim samaris and his uh his son and his uh other fellow storm chaser um unfortunately died in 2013 they were uh in they were chasing the el reno tornado so if you ever want some uh a good read or at least just something very interesting. It's actually the biggest one ever recorded. It was 2.6 miles wide. That's how big the tornado was. And unfortunately, a lot of people knew Tim Samaras because he drove around in a Doppler basically on wheels. And um, you'd get these young bucks, 16, 17, 18, that would hop into a car that lived down Oklahoma. And holy shit, we're going to have a big storm come through. Let's go look at it, right? And um, they would see a big Doppler on wheels and well, let's follow that because they know what the hell they're doing, right? So let's go follow them. So what happened was uh, this storm was so unpredictable. This tornado was doing things that, I mean, tornadoes really don't do. It was going backwards. It was going south, then east, then north. I mean, usually tornadoes are just following the path of the storm and it goes one way, but this tornado was pissed. um, And it definitely was uh, putting storm chasers in their place. And unfortunately, um, Tim Samaras and his his son, Paul, I'm reading it right now, and his uh, chase partner, Carl Young, they uh, decided to storm chase in a um, Chevy Cobalt, which is very small. Mm-hmm. I think it was actually an electric mm-hmm. car. They went, quote, mm-hmm. incognito. And uh, I've watched so many documentaries and so many YouTube videos of Tim Samaras um, talking. 
And uh, there was actually one video where someone was asking him a question the day of the storm. You know, what the hell are you driving? Well, I'm driving a, a Chevy Cobalt. What? He's like, yeah, we're going incognito. And they did that basically because they did not want to have people follow them. And eventually it, it turned into they, uh, they were trying to outrun the storm. The tornado got so big and uh, it actually produced little uh, vortices. Basically one, you got one tornado and then you have like four little small ones on each corner. And uh, one of them came out and literally sucked him in. Uh, it sucks. It, it, you know, it's the guy worked for the National Geographic. Um, he made so many changes within the, uh, the weather community and, and doing positive things for the community, you know, cause it's all about, yeah, it's about the science and stuff, but it's also about warning people, you know, what could the meteorology community do to warn people sooner? How can we get them evacuated sooner? And that's what Tim and his team was all about. You don't know what you're doing, especially like me, the other time down in New Richmond, you can definitely put yourself in, in harm's way. And it just goes to show you the true power of, of mama nature. So you bring up El Reno. One of my fascinations, and I've probably seen a few different just YouTube and just kind of going through some of the video out there. And I, I personally like to just watch. I think it's really tornadoes next to volcanoes are really cool. What's your thoughts on Joplin? So that was actually one of them that I was thinking about earlier, like the more Oklahoma tornado and then Joplin, um, Missouri. It's heartbreaking because sometimes that happens, you know, when you get such a big storm that just, it just like uh, uh, Hurricane Katrina, it was at the right place at the right time, you know, and sometimes you got these big tornadoes that they form and they just are right in your direct path. Cause I know it, like it destroyed the hospital, destroyed the school. It killed hundreds of people. It was a devastating event. The whole half the town was just demolished. And I mean, there's nothing you can do. It's that's weather. Just like our tornado that we had last year, the, uh, the F4, which God, Minnesota has not seen an F4 tornado in a long time, but it was up in Ashby, Minnesota. And it had one death and the tornado literally just ran over someone's farm. It was in the direct path. And, you know, this, the tornado is just doing its own thing in a farm field, you know, destroying crops. But sure enough, it decides to go right over a farmhouse and kill the man that lived there. So it's just always, you know, was that on purpose? Was that, you know, is that God's way? Is that, you know, is it just a coincidence, you know? And when these storms go through these big towns, it's, that's why warning systems are so huge. One thing that, that I really want to share with you guys about the difference between a watch and a warning because you'd not believe how many people think a tornado watch means, holy shit, there's a tornado on the ground. And uh, some fire department um, somewhere in the States posted this picture and it's perfect. If you think of a taco bar, right? You're at someone's house and you're going to make tacos. You got your cheese, your lettuce, your sour cream, your salsa, your guacamole. You got your meat, you got your shells, right? You have all uh, these. No, time out, time out. What? True tacos just have protein, cilantro, <laughs> onions. But I also Anything want to else that you put there? No. That's not um, a taco. You're, you're Ukrainian. You cannot have a, oh. you cannot whoa, have whoa, whoa, whoa. an input oh. on tacos. I can have plenty of input on tacos. <laughs> you're wrong. We all know the right tacos have corn tortillas, not one, but two. Oh, no. Protein. God. <laughs> well, cilantro, <laughs> onions. That's it. Anything else that is, is Americanized. Yeah, you need some tomatoes on there at, at least. And since what? you interrupted this wonderful story, I did have an interruption thought as well. I just want to know, is this taco bar pre-COVID or post-COVID? Because It's pre-COVID. Okay. <laughs> Please carry on with your taco bar. <laughs> oh, think of a taco bar, right? You have all the ingredients right there in front of you. That is basically a tornado watch or a severe thunderstorm watch. The ingredients are in there, but they're not put together yet. When you have a tornado warning or a severe thunderstorm warning, someone made the damn taco, and now that taco is ready to be eaten. So that is, and, and, and I share this on my Facebook page all the time because it's people cannot differentiate between the two, between a watch and a warning, but a watch is you got the ingredients, the weather's getting nasty, you have all the things that you need to make a very volatile situation with nasty weather. But then a, a tornado warning or a severe thunderstorm warning is when you have all the ingredients together and now it is currently being eaten. So tornado warning means there is damn near a tornado on the ground or it's about to be. A watch is, yeah, within the next few hours, you may see a tornado warning potentially have your eyes and ears out. Well, that's a good, 
a good point and a good topic. Is there any other questions that you're asked as a storm chaser all the time besides have you seen Twister? Because that was a really good question. Um, any questions that you've been asked that are dumb? Well, okay, let's not say dumb. Let's not insult the population. But any questions that are, you know, constant? You hear them a lot. I'm going to um, insult you. The question about get... Twister. <laughs> Some of the stupidest ones that I usually get is, Jeff, am I going to get rain? Jeff, am I, is my house going to get hailed on because I want a new truck? Um, Jeff, is there tornadoes today? Um, they think I know because I always, I always look up this stuff. But once again, I'm, I'm an amateur. I'm, I'm just do it for a hobby. I'm, I, I still have so much to learn. There's so much science behind weather that I still want to know, but I'm not there yet because I also have, you know, a day job and social life and things like that. But it, uh, I think just those questions where you start to see, Oh, it's going to be an active weather day. Jeff, how come the how come it didn't storm or how come it didn't snow out? Where's my snow at? It's like, how the hell would I know? I'm not a meteorologist, but because I'm, I'm so keen into weather and I'm always paying attention to it. They, people just automatically think I know the answers, but I don't. And if I do, I'll, I'll provide it to them. But um, most of the time I, I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> What do you wish for related to your hobby that you don't have? <laughs> well, here's the funny part. I wish to see a tornado. So fun fact, I have actually never seen one in person. Also too, when I'm storm chasing, if all of a sudden I come across destruction or devastation, which I've seen in the past, I carry a medical kit in my car, a big EMT bag. Um, I carry uh, life-saving stuff. I have tourniquets in my car. I have a shovel. Um, I have waders, uh, boot waders. I keep all these things in my car. I have um, extra batteries, flashlights, blankets. I keep all the stuff in my trunk because I stop storm chasing when I see other people that are in danger or hurt, or um, I've even come across whole um, roads that are flooded and I'll stop, I'll get out of my car, I'll put on my waders and I will use my shovel and I'll clear out the debris from the, um, the storm drains because I do it for the community. I do it for me, but I also do it for the community. That's why I call the National Weather Service. That's why I call these things out because so many people are oblivious to what the hell is going on around them. So at the end of the day, I, I, I really like to do it for my community and my fellow humans that don't give a shit about weather. And I think someone has to for them. Otherwise they're going to get hurt. I do it for me, but I also do it for you. That's fantastic. Every time we do a podcast, we get somebody that just puts it down and that's it. Like yep. here we are. <laughs> Someone named Steph and KJ, do you guys have any other questions like that? I feel like it's a great summary. I mean, we do have a recap at the end, but any? No, not at this time. Yeah, yeah, I don't either. So Jeff, before we let you go, where can people find you if they want to ask you why the hell they didn't get any rain? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, so um, a few things. So I do have a Facebook page. It's called Minnesota Storm Chasing. You can find it on Facebook if you just type the at symbol and then Minnesota Storm Chasing, all just one long word. Um, you'll be able to find me. Picture The profile picture is me in front of the Tornado Intercept Vehicle. I'm going to change that eventually. I'm trying to design my own little logo because I want to get my car decaled. Holy God, super nerd. It's also connected to my Instagram, um, Minnesota Storm Chasing. You can find me on there as well. I'd say Facebook is my main hub. For some resource, um, Storm Prediction Center by, for, uh, by far is always my number one. It's directly from the National Weather Service. There is a lot of information on here. If you go on to the main page of the Storm Prediction Center, and when we're talking about severe weather, on the right-hand side, it says Outlooks. And that is your convective outlook for um, day one, two, three, and then four through eight. That's going to tell you if there's severe weather or not potentially coming in your way. If you're looking for a sweet hot app that you want on your phone, once again, I would always say Radar Scope. Um, radar Scope is very easy to use. It's kind of expensive, um, but if you want really good radar that does not look like garbage, do Radar Scope. If you know somewhat about storms, and if you even want to learn about storms, you can really start going into different radars. I mean, we're talking velocity, um, uh, echo tops. I can list them on and on. There's so much information data that's at our fingertips. You just need to learn how to do it. And a quick YouTube video will show you how to do that within minutes. Zoom Earth is also another cool one. Zoom Earth. So if you, uh, you're on, on Google and you type in Zoom Earth, you get live time satellite. And then weather story. Go to Google, type in Minnesota weather story. There you go. You have instant access to what the National Weather Service is thinking for the day. It's super easy to use, super easy to look at. That's a lot of info for folks and hopefully they'll be able to find it or 
better yet, I hope that they'll reach out to you and find you on Facebook. That was super awesome. Thank you, Jeff, for your time and your perspective on storm chase. I learned a ton. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I don't want to chase any storms, but I definitely have a different respect for people that do, except for those assholes who (laughs) take advantage of it. Like that's terrible. Anything else, ladies? Only that tacos only have corn tortilla, protein, I mean, cilantro. I got nothing. Thanks a lot, Jeff. That was very informative. Thank you, ladies. Yes. Have a wonderful night. All right, you three. It's been fun. All right. Sounds good. See ya. All right. Thank you, Jeff. See ya. Thank you for joining us uh, for this episode, talking to Jeff regarding storm chasing. I hope you learned something. I definitely did. I got a different perspective within storm chasing. And also, thanks for putting on Jeff's waders.